You're listening to the Grace Through Faith weekly podcast. For more information, go to mygtf.org. We hope you enjoy. How you guys feeling? Yeah? How's Thanksgiving? You're happy. Good. You sound sleepy. That's okay. Thank you, Doug. Well, if you don't know, my name is Bo Perkins, and I'm uh, the worship pastor at Grace Through Faith, and I also serve on the executive team with pastors Jory and April. You know today is serious because I have my big Bible with my name on it. I thought that would get more of a laugh. Um, the Buccanaws are out today, just taking some time off, and so I've jumped in to fill this pulpit, and I think we're going to have a good time. Uh, do you want to have a good time? Yes. Great. Uh, we're kind of having a bit of a transitional sermon out of uh, sort of our Thanksgiving theme and what we'll be doing for Christmas. So I am going to be talking this morning about having a heavenly perspective or an eternal perspective to life. And I'm not even going to lie to you guys. I had to fight through some serious vacation hangover fog yesterday uh, to get this sermon. So you better enjoy it. I'm just kidding. I was joking with Talon. It's like he was giving me a hard time about being tired after the vacation. And I'm like, dude, until you've driven over five hours anywhere with three people under the age of seven, I don't want to hear it. You know, like, I need a vacation from my vacation. Anybody else? Cool. So during an impassioned sermon about death and the final judgment, the pastor said forcefully, each member of this church is going to die and face judgment. Glancing down at the front pew, he noticed a man with a big smile on his face. The minister repeated his point louder. Each member of this church is going to die and face judgment. The man nodded and smiled even more. This really got the preacher wound up. He pounded the pulpit emphatically, and he came down with this ultimatum. Each member of this church is going to die and face judgment. Though everyone else in the congregation was looking somber, the man in the front row continued to smile. Finally, the preacher stepped off the platform, stood in front of the man, and shouted, I said each member of this church is going to die and face judgment. The man grinned from ear to ear. And after the service was over, the preacher made a beeline for the man. I don't get it, the preacher said in frustration. Whenever I said each member of this church is going to die, your smile got bigger and bigger. Why? The man said, well, I'm not a member of this church. (laughs) What kind of a car does Jesus drive? A Chrysler. Should have stuck with the first one. Didn't need the second one. (laughs) So today I want to talk about having a heavenly perspective and and thinking in this eternal way. Um, I've been off Twitter for years and years and years and years, and then I got back on Twitter on election night. And if you're off Twitter but you were on, I can confirm that it's still a dumpster fire. So if you're not there, you don't need to be there. But, you know, just being on social media, many of you follow me, I follow you guys, um, there's like... People are wigging out and acting in ways that make me laugh often and uh, concerned for other people's mental well-being in other moments. And 
just looking around me, it, it occurs to me, and this is, this is as much for me as anybody else, okay? But what I think we are desperately missing as the church in 2020 is a perspective that's bigger than next week, that's bigger than next year, that's bigger than the next decade, because I want you to know, and I know you already know this, I just want to remind you, your body will be raised from the dead and we'll reign with Christ on the earth for eternity, which is some good news. Can we, maybe it's better than what that reaction warranted. So I'm just going to say it again. Your, your body will be raised from the dead and you're going to reign with Christ on the earth for eternity, Amen. right? And uh, there's nothing that you can do to earn it. That is a free gift of salvation. When you say yes to Jesus, that becomes your reality. Um, no matter if even as I'm saying it, you're like, I find that really hard to believe. I'm just want to remind you that we have this blessed hope. And, I, and today what I want to talk about um, is kind of how do we practically uh, uh, you know, work that muscle. And we're going to look at a couple examples in scripture. Actually, go ahead and turn in your Bible if you have it to Acts chapter 16. You're going to put your finger there and then you're going to open back up to Matthew 19. So I'm going to start with Matthew 19 verses 16 through 30. And we're just going to look at this for a second. Having a heavenly perspective. This is the story of the rich young ruler and I'm just going to read. We're going to be reading quite a bit of scripture today. And behold, a man came up to him, Jesus, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep this commandment. He said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said, all these I have kept, what do I still lack? Now notice, this is the third time that this brother is asking Jesus what he needs to do. Jesus has already asked, answered this question three times. But it's almost like as Jesus is asking the question that he's reeling this dude in. The young man said to him, all these I have kept, what do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, if you, now catch this, if you would be perfect. Okay, now he's, he, now he's answering not the question that's coming out of the man's mouth. He's asking the question that's in this man's heart. Okay, he says, if you would be perfect, go sell all the things that you possess and give them to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Somebody say treasure in heaven. And now catch this. And come follow me. Now, Jesus only said that to 12 other people on the planet. He just opened up the widest door for this guy to step into something so heavenly and so eternal. The man, and I bet everybody else there has no concept of what Jesus has just offered to him. And we're gonna, I'm gonna break that down a little bit later when we get to how Peter reacts to this, but... He says, come and follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to the disciples, truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, who then can be saved? 
But Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Then Peter said in reply, now watch this. See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? So seems like Peter's got some buyer's remorse, <laughs> right? What then will we have? Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, in the new world, when the son of man will sit on his glorious throne, huh, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for the sake of my name will receive a hundredfold. Somebody say a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last shall be first. Now, let's give some context to this passage. In uh, the Jewish religion of the day, the way that the people of Israel saw money and wealth uh, and riches was actually, they equated that with God's blessing, right? So that really frames up all these interactions. They thought that if you had a mansion and a Bentley, or in that day, I guess you would have had like a really baller camel, that that was God's stamp of approval on your life. Now, when you read this passage, you don't know if, if we didn't have these nice uh, asides that, you know, Matthew gives us, we would not know that this man is wealthy per se, right? How many of you sometimes have stepped into a conversation with God and he brings up something that you didn't know you were going to talk about and you're not even really sure you want to talk about it, right? Because this man comes to Jesus and he's asking about eternal life. And Jesus turns the question around and he actually attacks the man's whole perspective on all of his life. I mean, I don't always enjoy when I go to the place of prayer and God's like, hey, I want to talk about your money. Who likes that conversation? So I'm not sure that this, this individual fully understood as he walked up to Jesus and he does have this legitimate question in his heart of, hey, he knows, this is something that's wild to me. He asked Jesus three times after Jesus has already told him, hey, you're doing the things you need to do to inherit eternal life. So inherently, there's something in this rich young ruler that he's like, well, I have all this stuff and I've been doing this stuff, but for some reason, I just don't feel assured of that place of eternal life. And then Jesus gives him the option, right? I love this about Jesus. Sometimes God gives you the option to do something. You come to the Lord and you say, I want to do this thing. And he'll lay out for you how you need to get from point A to point B. And sometimes it's just too hard, right? Jesus attacks the very motives of this guy. But the, this, okay, remember all the stuff that he said to Peter? Hey, everything you're lost, you'll get back a hundredfold. Oh, and you 12 are going to sit on 12 thrones and judge the 12 tribes of Israel. He just offered one of those thrones to this rich young ruler. But this rich young ruler is so enamored, is so stuck, is so caught up on his own materialism. The moment that the words leave Jesus' mouth, if you would be perfect, go sell everything you have. He knows he can't do it. He's already in sorrow. Because he can't see. You see that? He can't see. His perspective, his perspective is so narrow that he can't comprehend even stepping into obedience when Jesus says, hey, okay, Jesus levels with him, right? 
Two times he gives them back the law. Third time he says, fine, <laughs> you know, is the parable of the persistent widow. He just keeps coming back. This guy is hellbent on getting eternal life. And Jesus says, fine, if you would be perfect, sell everything you have. Perspective, right? Motive. What drives you today? Because what was driving this rich young ruler blinded him to the possibility of something so eternal, something so valuable, something that would not, you know, pull out your wallet if you've got your wallet, man. Got your wallet? Pull that out. Just want you to look at that. All your cards, all your stuff. I want you to say this. I cannot take this with me. For some of you, that's a more joyful thought than for others. <laughs> Peter pipes up in this passage and... Um, I love the transparency of Peter in the scriptures. Like, you never are curious. I'm such a Peter. I live with my foot in my mouth, I feel like. Um, you know exactly what he's thinking. He, he, he's thinking about this man, and Jesus has just told this guy to go sell everything. Well, the guy gets back on his premium camel and rides off, and Peter's like, hey, well, we gave up everything. You know, and Jesus could have just turned around and been like, yeah, I know, Peter, okay? I know. But Jesus, in his kindness, actually says to Peter, look, these are all the things you're going to inherit, okay, for following me. Isn't that wild? Amen. When we can get heaven's perspective, we can operate in the moment in a way that accrues we accrue in our life eternal value. When you accrue eternal value on your life, you're gonna keep that with you when we go into the age that is to come. We want to understand heaven's perspective on the present so that we can act in agreement with God's purpose on the earth so that when we go into the age to come, we know that we've, we've uh, operated with, with this, um, what am I trying to, we've cooperated with the will of God and he blesses that, right? Amen? Amen? Let's talk about this thing about perspective. I want to talk about perspective for a second. Because the fundamental problem for this rich young ruler is he just could not see what Jesus was really talking about. He had the desire to accrue eternal value. He wanted eternal life. But when Jesus actually asked him for what was driving him, he was unable to give it away, right? And that's all of us most sometimes. Uh, Proverbs 23, 7 says this, as a man believes in his heart, so is he. And Ephesians 1, 18 says, and this is Paul praying, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart, somebody say the eyes of your heart, may be opened or enlightened so that you may know the hope of your calling. Perspective's not just about how you think, it's about how you navigate the world. See, perspective's not just about how you perceive, it's, it's actually an issue of the heart. When Jesus challenged the rich young ruler, 
It's not that the man fundamentally couldn't comprehend that if he had kept the law and the prophets that he would enter into eternal life. It's that the perception of his heart, the knowing of his heart, the question of his heart and his worldview knew that that his uh, riches were the thing that was driving his life and that he wouldn't inherit eternal life. His perspective wasn't as good as he thought that it was. Somebody say, my perspective is not as good as I think that it is. One time when I was uh, really young, maybe five or six, um, my grandparents lived in Houston and... um, I was, we were visiting my grandparents for some holiday and uh, I was in the house playing one day and um, I had one of those moments where I looked up and all the adults were gone and, uh, you know, I started going room to room trying to find any adult and I could find no adults. And so, you know, I just hit the five-year-old panic button, tears, I just started freaking out. I didn't know what to do, so I don't know why I did this. I walked out the front door and went and stood on the, in the street. Um, so I'm standing in the middle of the street just crying. And this very kind um, woman came over and she, she said, hi, you know, honey, what's wrong? And I said, I can't find my mom. And um, she looked up and I don't know how she knew this. I, I really don't know what happened. But she took me by the hand and she took me to the next door neighbor's house, right? She knocked on the door. My mom came to the door. They were only one house away. And, uh, you know, I found my parents because the nice lady helped me. But my point in telling you the story is that my perspective in that moment was I am completely alone. I am completely abandoned. I, you know, I had no idea where I was or what was going on. But the reality was my mom was really close. She was about to come back and get me, Right? So I just say that to illustrate when Paul's praying like, hey, let, let the eyes of your heart be enlightened. Let the spirit of revelation come on your life. A lot of us live in such a way that we believe that our experience of the world or our perspective is truth. And that's almost never the case. Amen. And unless we live in this place of humility, you know, the Bible says that the meek will inherit the earth. The meek fundamentally know that they don't know what they don't know. But a lot of us, like this rich young ruler, I don't know how he got the question in his heart, but I'm sure when he came to Jesus that, that day, he wasn't thinking, I don't know what I don't know. He wasn't prepared for Jesus to challenge him in such a deep and dynamic way. And it, because he couldn't let go, because his perspective was skewed, because the eyes of his heart couldn't be opened, wouldn't be opened, that he didn't will them to be opened, he wasn't able to step into a place of having heavenly perspective. He couldn't see. You know, uh, the tradition of Scripture is, how many of you know the character Barnabas in the New Testament? The encourager? You remember this guy? He travels with Paul for a while. A lot of people believe that Barnabas is or was this rich young ruler. That after the resurrection, he found those believers and that he actually helped fund a lot of the early uh, missions out to all these different cities. Isn't that wild? Let's talk about King David for a second. King David was a dude who had a heavenly perspective when he had absolutely no business having one. Are you guys okay? Okay, so we've got the rich young ruler, and now now we're talking about perspective, now we're talking about King David, okay? Cool. 
King David. So King David was the second of only, he was the second king of Israel, a nation uh, set apart. Think about in the day of King David, okay, monarchs all over were basically um, either they believed they were God or a God or they were proclaimed propping themselves up with false gods. So they're building, you know, Nebuchadnezzar's building giant statues to himself. You've got kings all over the place, uh, worshiping demons and idols. And, and David is interesting in the sense that um, he, he understood something so fundamental about the heart of God that he built his kingdom in such a way that it represented something eternal, Right? David very well could have just become one of the self-consumed kings that would govern Israel after him, but he moved the heart of God so much that, that the Lord said in the scriptures, this, this King David in Isaiah, he prophesied, this David was a man after my own heart. Let's look at the way that David like saw God in the midst of his life. You can go all through the Psalms. I'm just gonna read a couple of them here, but all across David's life, all across David's um, many years on the earth, he continued to see God as king. And, And think about this, okay? David is king of one of the most powerful monarchies on the planet, one of the most, uh, military power, one of the most land grab power. He's got all of this might behind him, but he still attributes eternal glory and eternal praise to God as a king on the earth, right? So this is, this is David talking in Psalm 93. The Lord is king. He is robed in majesty. Indeed, the Lord is robed in majesty and armed with strength. Indeed, the world is established, firm and secure. Your throne was established long ago. You are from all eternity. Psalm 29, the Lord rules over all the floodwaters. The Lord reigns as king forever. The Lord gives his people strength. The Lord blesses them with peace. Psalm 47, sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our king. Sing praises. All throughout David life all through the Psalms. He attributes praise and glory to God as a king, even though he is a king. And in that day, they believed that many kings were gods. So David, in his lifetime, was able to see something in the heart of God, to have this eternal perspective that God blessed him on the earth and he blessed his lineage after him. He left a legacy of blessing because he chose to look and not to live just as his circumstances dictated. I mean, think about the very fact that David gets anointed as king when he's a young man. He goes to the palace and serves King Saul before King Saul decides he wants to kill him. And then he has many opportunities to kill Saul, but will not do it. Not because he doesn't have the rightful place on the throne of Israel, but because he has a heavenly perspective. And that's why God says, hey, this is a man after my own heart. I was even reading in 2 Kings yesterday. And after uh, Solomon, David's son, basically went away and started serving false gods because of David's life and because of the blessing that David had on him, God said about Solomon, because of that, I'm actually going to give you a lesser punishment because of your father. Your life and your ability to connect with God's eternal purpose, to connect with God's uh, desire of what he wants to do in the earth is your direct connection to blessing yourself, your family, and your legacy. 
in order to get to that place, we've got to challenge the perception and we've got to challenge our conviction and we've got to let God shape us and move us in the way that he couldn't get through to the rich young ruler. In order to get into that place of perceiving and understanding what God wants to do in our lives, we have to allow him to challenge that perception. And in order for that to happen, we first have to start with the place that we don't know what we don't know. Amen? You don't know what you don't know. And neither do I. And it takes that little bit of humility for us to open the door and open our heart and be able to move with the purposes of God. Amen? Okay, so turn over to the Acts 16. 16 through 40. I'm going to read a big chunk of scripture here. Okay, this is cool. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl. This is Paul. Paul and Dr. Luke. Who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us carrying out these, crying out, sorry, not carrying out. These men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, somebody say greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her overseers saw, when her owners, I'm sorry, saw that their hopes of gain were gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, but the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave them orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they, drew, they threw them in prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them in the inner prison and fastened, feet, fastened their feet in the stocks." About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to him, and suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? There's that question again. Have you ever wondered, how does this thought get into people? They're all, you know, the rich young ruler, how do I get eternal life? And this guy just now, he sees this amazing work of God. And that question just pops up. It's like it's in his DNA. Hey, what do I need to do to be saved? These would be the guys to ask, I think. And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And, and he was baptized at once and all of his family. Then he brought them up to his house and set food before them. And in and rejoicing along with his entire household, he said that he had believed in God. But when it was day, the magistrates sent the police saying, let those men go. Okay, so now they're going to let them out of prison. <laughs> but they already, 
They jail, God jailbroke them already. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent you, sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. Now, Paul must be from Texas, okay? Because read this. They, they beat him, they threw him in prison. Now they say, hey, we're gonna let you out. But this is, I, this is Paul's Alamo mo- moment right here. That's funnier than you guys are acting like it is. They have beaten us publicly, un- uncondemned men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No. That's hilarious. Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens, not that they had heard that they got jailbroke by God. So they came and apologized to them. That's classic. And they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So when they went out of prison and visited Lydia, and when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. Now, let's talk about this, okay? Because Paul's making some baller moves here. That's funny too. Now, earlier in this same chapter, Paul gets his come up moment from God. It's called the Macedonian call. And think about Paul as an individual, okay? Before he became saved, he uh, was, a, was, when he was persecuting Christians, he was still a radical religious dude and would have done anything for God in that mindset, right? So then he gets saved. He has his uh, road to Damascus experience and he becomes a follower of Jesus. And it's not exactly clear in the scriptures, but Paul was not an A-teamer for like the first 10 years of the church. He was going out and doing these missions, but he's not one of the apostles. He's not one of the 12, right? So he's kind of like, B-string, but he's working his way up to varsity, and he's doing such great exploits that God keeps kicking him new missions, right? And finally, he has this dream. I'd imagine it was probably a great feeling for him, something he'd been working for his whole life. And he gets this call to go to Macedonia and to preach the gospel. And so just a few verses later, This whole episode with this woman filled with the spirit happens and Paul finds himself in prison. Now, think about that. He gets a call from God, right? He knows exactly what he's supposed to do. One would think, I mean, Paul knows the scriptures. I'm sure he's thinking like, dude, we're gonna go out and do some Moses stuff. Maybe, you know, I'll raise a rod and, and waters will part. He's serving the God of Abraham, the God of Jacob. You know, this God can do anything. Paul casts a spirit out of a girl and then they get mobbed and thrown in prison. Just think about that moment. Okay, think if that was you. You get the call from God, then you cast a demon out and they beat you up for it. Okay, just a crowd of people, Antifa, Decide they're going to beat you up for this, and then they throw you in prison. I was thinking about this. You know, it's a it's a harrowing experience. I'm sure they didn't know what was going to happen. When when me and my wife drive on snow, my wife panics. It could be no snow. It could just look like it's uh, 
you know, a little bit of snow and my wife panics. It's a very harrowing experience for her, maybe like being thrown in prison. You know what she hates when we drive on snow? When I start singing or acting like it's not a big deal at all. She hates it. We were going down a mountain in Colorado just a few days ago and she's... And we just bought a forerunner. This thing is like, I could, go, I could just go straight up the mountain in the forerunner. We have no problems. We've not slipped one time. And she's like, I'm a bit, babe, what are you thinking about? Don't talk to me right now. <laughs> if I start singing in that minute, when we all get to heaven, she's like, shut up, shut up. Paul and Silas are in a crazy, harrowing place. They just got beat up. They just got beat up bad and thrown in prison. They don't know if they're even going to make it out of there. And they're, when we all get to heaven. And the ground shakes and the prison doors open. Because when you've got a heavenly perspective, even when you're in the most harrowing place and you let out a shout of praise, guess what? The prison doors fling wide and people start getting saved. Paul could see something in that moment that no one else could see, even the jailer. He could see the purpose of God over that moment, over his life. And he knew, okay, he knew, I've got purpose from God. I've got this call on my life. I have this, this thing I've got to go do for the kingdom of God and no jail cell can keep me. And that's the perspective that we as the church, as believers, ought to have in 2020. We have a purpose. We have a calling. We have uh, something that we need to cooperate with God on the earth about, right? And it doesn't matter if Donald Trump is president or Joe Biden is president. It doesn't matter if our taxes get cut. It doesn't matter what they call you on Facebook. It doesn't matter what you've got in your bank account. You've got a purpose and a call on your life. And in order to step into the blessing and the fruitfulness of God, we've got to have a heavenly perspective. We've got to have an eternal perspective. We've got to lay aside the desire to just accrue uh, wealth, riches, glory, reputation right now and step into the place. And I I know this is fundamental, but I just feel like we need reminding. Amen. Cool? We just need reminding. And, and, and really, this is, this is, I know this has been like a sub-point sub to a lot of the points that I'm making, but, but I think that we have an epidemic of Christians in the church that are fully convinced that they know everything there is to know about life and church and everything else right? But that's not a spirit of humility, folks. Amen. Amen? That's not a spirit of servanthood. That's not a spirit, that's not a, a cooperative spirit with the spirit of God moving in the earth. And in order for the church to get from where we are to where we need to be, we've got to get bought in at a deeper level in deeper numbers than we've ever been bought in before. And you are part of that. Amen. I think that we have an epidemic in the church of people that would rather sit on the bench and write themselves off and not even consider the fact that they have a purpose and a function and, and a real something to bring to the book. I want to tell each and every one of you something today. I want to tell you something. You have something to bring to the body of Christ that no one else has and no one else can bring. 
And if you keep coming, and I'm not saying, of course, this is not true about any of you. It never would. You're all crazy on fire for Jesus. I, I totally get that. But if we continue to have a culture in the church of show up, swipe our attendance card, sit through it so that we feel better about ourselves, and then go about our daily week like we did nothing, then we're going to continue to backslide. Like as a whole group. Amen? Amen? This is true. You know that this is true. But what we can see in the scriptures, what we see in King David, what we saw in Paul, what we, what we saw in Peter and the 12 is that there's a purpose and a glory that when we get a hold of God's purpose for us and we say yes and we recognize that our perspective's got to change, our mind's got to change, and there's got to be humility and repentance in our life, Amen. then we step into the glory and the blessing of cooperating with God's purpose in the earth. Somebody say amen. amen. And here's how easy it is this morning. This rich young ruler, okay? Let's go back to that brother. What's fascinating to me about that story, other than the fact that I'm sure that that guy did not expect to talk to Jesus about riches and wealth that morning. You know, when he walked up to Jesus, I don't think he was thinking, Oh boy, here it goes. <laughs> I guess I'm gonna have to give up everything I own, you know? <laughs> What's fascinating to me about this guy is that he argues with Jesus three times, but when Jesus tells him what the problem really is, he doesn't even have anything in him to contest it. And how many of us are like that? That there's that one thing, that one issue, that, that one, it's like a, it, it's, it is a stumbling block in our life. And God, we come to him and it's like, you know, you go to prayer. Maybe, maybe you've been to church like twice this, week, this month and, and, and you're kind of tiptoeing around it. But when God finally goes, it's this thing, you don't even have an argument. You just go, no, I can't do it. Think about this though. What if he'd said Yes. If he'd said yes, yeah, premium camel has to go, okay? Big house has to go. I don't know what, I don't, I don't know what being rich back then meant. Like all his shiny rocks had to go, I don't know. No more servants. But he would have become the 13th apostle following Jesus. Think about the things that Jesus did, okay? Jesus was healing the sick. Jesus was literally raising the dead people. Let me ask you a question. Would you rather have a premium camel or see dead people be raised from, from the ground, literally? He would have taken a place of influence and leadership in an eternal kingdom that was only ever offered to 12 other people ever, period. That's it. His name would have been written down in this book, maybe some of the letters, of the most influential world religion of all time. Sure, the camel's gone, but I mean, think about the stuff you get. And for each and every one of us, it's exactly like that. When God pinpoints that one thing, that stumbling block, that that issue, that problem, that mindset, that perspective, when he comes to you, he goes, I want this. 
on the other side of this is all the stuff that you're using this to try to fill, right? You're using the thing that God wants to try to hit your heart to make you feel satisfied. And God's going, if you'll give me this, I'll satisfy you in ways that you can't even comprehend. Psalm uh, 37.4 says that God gives us the desires of our heart, which I think I bring this up every time I preach, but that, the way that that reads is not God gives us everything that we want. It's like, God, hey, God puts the desires of our heart into us. He makes our heart desire things, right? So that he can fill us. Fill us. So, you guys feel good? I want to kind of bad at landing the plane. I want to take a minute and I want to give you an opportunity to respond to the Lord maybe, okay? We, we started off this time together just talking about like, man, I really feel like the Lord wants to meet some needs in here today. But I also feel like, um, I also feel this, this invitation, this is so easy. The, the rich young ruler one word and one heart movement separated him from the biggest blessing. You know, he only had to say yes. And I want to say yes to God this morning. I think that, um, yeah, so let's do that. Let's go ahead and have the worship team come. I'll have you guys stand. Uh, I think if you need communion, these guys are going to pass out the elements. Um, I feel like I want to give an opportunity for salvation this morning. If you've never given your life to Jesus and even that like phrase feels daunting to you, I, I want everybody in the room, grab your elements and go ahead and close your eyes with me if you would. I want to tell you something being a Christian and following Jesus is, is literally the best thing you can do with your life. It is so good. It is so um, filling. He is such a good shepherd. If you've never given your life to Jesus and, and you want to, uh, I want to give you an opportunity. But we're not big on uh, soloing people out here at Grace Through Faith. So let, let's all say this together. I want you to, I want the whole room to repeat after me. But if it's you this morning that you want to give your heart to Jesus for real, and you want to say yes and get that issue, that thing out of your life, um, do it. So everyone in the room, repeat after me. Jesus, I give you my heart. I give you my life. I recognize that you are Lord and I want to serve you. I receive your love and I receive your grace. Amen. Amen. If that was you, I want for you to come find me or one of the Dream Team members after church. Um, let's go ahead and just thank God for the opportunity to change our perspective. Amen. Father, we thank you that this morning you've got more for us and that we have the opportunity to step into something glorious in our life. Lord, I just pray for everybody here that in the coming weeks that, that they would get a handle on what you wanna do in their life, that they would get a handle on 
the things that you're inviting them into, God. And I just pray that this divine partnership with the Spirit of God would, would catch each and every one of us and we would, uh, we'd find ourselves in a deeper place of relationship with you. Now oh, we're gonna worship and I just invite for you to uh, take those elements at your own leisure. Thank you guys. Love you.